We've been talking over the last three weeks now about giving. And as I was hoping to end this study this week, the Lord just kept bringing, bringing these scriptures and meaningful things that I had yet to touch on. And we're going to hit this again today. And I got to tell you, and I told you last week, but I'm really excited about this. And as I was sitting there last, last night just going over some things and um, rehearsing, if you will, and practicing some stuff here and making sure that I knew what I was talking about, the Lord just... Because I was questioning, Lord, is this really where you want me to go? Again, keeping in step with the Spirit, right? Always, always. And that's my heart's desire. And... And so along with that comes seeking God, seeking God to know where he wants you to go, okay? To seek his leading, to seek his guidance. And as I was doing that, Lord, are you sure this is where you want me to go? It was just like he, he just flooded me with peace and confirmed in my spirit that, yes, this is, in fact, where I'm going. And he just gave me that, that feeling of, of peace, you know? And it brought tears to my eyes because I think of where I was before I had learned these things that God is teaching us in this study. And spiritually, my life was lacking, spiritually. And once I began to make this a regular practice in my life, this giving of my finances and my time and my talents, once I began to employ these things and put them into practice in my life, I really began to see the bigger picture. How many of you know that God has a bigger picture (laughs) than we're used to, right? My ways are higher than your ways, declares the Lord. And so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. Thank God for that. (laughs) Really, thank God for that, right? So he doesn't think the way that we think, okay? He sees the bigger picture. And as I began to employ these things to put them into practice in my life, I began to see at least in part the bigger picture. And when you're young in life or you're young in the faith, you kind of think it's all about you. But as we read the Word and as we studied a month ago, we talked about community and how much The Word of God talks about us and talks to us in the lens and through the lens of community. What was the other lens, you remember? Just seeing. What was the other lens that we we study the Bible through? Community and? Time. Time? What about God's great love? Right? Those two things, God's great love and the lens of of community. And so God speaks to us through 
community, through the body of Christ, all right? It's not so much about us individually. When we begin to understand about community, then we begin to understand our small part in that, okay? And how much we are dependent upon each other. I have discovered the joy, and that's what I have entitled this today, the joy of giving. I have discovered the joy of giving. And it's not, I have found, it's not a one-time thing. It is an exercise, okay? The joy of giving is an exercise. I have found contentment in contributing to God's greater plan. I have found deliverance from my stingy living. We, as humans, are naturally stingy. But God has revealed my stinginess to me. God is trying to reveal our stinginess to us as his people. That stinginess is something that has to be worked out. It has to be pulled out, yeah, and gotten rid of. I now understand that when I withhold from God what is due him, I limit the blessings that he has intended for me. I limit God's blessings on my life when I withhold from him what he is due and what he is worthy of. I now comprehend that God wants me to give. Why? Because he wants me to be involved in what he's doing. God wants me to give of my time, sister, of my talents, of my money. He wants me to give of these things because he wants me to take part in what he is doing. I know that giving has filled in a missing piece in my spiritual growth. You know, there have been so many mis- misconceptions, improper training, outright lies, empty promises regarding the topic of giving, haven't there? And we talked about it, we, we see it all the time. Excuse my voice. I had no voice this week. I'm I'm surprised to be able to speak this morning. You may have seen demonstrated one of these crude misconceptions. Send me a dollar and I'll send you back ten. (laughs) As if the kingdom of God is some sort of heavenly slot machine where you're sitting in front of this thing and you you put your money in, you pull the lever, and you're waiting for three like objects to come and and when that buzzer starts to buzz, you're going to get a bucket full of money. That's not the way that it works. The Lord wants us to go beyond our fear of giving and cross the line to generosity. God wants us to know that it is safe to give because he sees and he blesses accordingly 
When we give something away, now listen to this. Let's see if this isn't true. When we give something away, we feel as though we have lost something, don't we? We give it away. I had this. I ain't got it no more. <laughs> okay. It gone. Okay. I used to have this. Now I don't anymore. I only got this. That's the way we feel. All right? And that's just human nature. And that's the stuff that God wants to work out of us and to help us to grow into maturity in him. We had something, now we don't, and we no longer feel motivated to give anymore because we're, we don't have that anymore, right? But the Bible clarifies this thinking and redirects it into trusting in God. Now, is God trustworthy? Is God faithful? Can we rely on God? Yeah, always. We just sang that song. Always. Always. He is a good, good father. And he has good intentions for us. The Bible says that if we give to the work of the Lord, we are, not giving to, we are not giving something away, but we are rather sowing a seed. And we talked last week about the farmer, all right? And if you think about giving in this way, you, you think about it as a farmer thinks, right? We are not giving something away. We are rather planting a seed or sowing a seed, as they would say. All right. In fact, it's not a loss at all, but it's, it's more of an investment that will bring great returns later on. Not only returns here on this earth, but returns after this earth. Yeah? When it really counts. The farmer doesn't lose the seed when he plants it in the ground, and he doesn't look at it that way. No, he gains a crop. He gains a whole harvest. You understand? He doesn't look at it as though, man, I'm losing all my seed. No, he's thinking down the road because he knows that he's going to, in three months, be harvesting a huge crop. All right? We are surrounded by crops of farmers, corn, soybeans, and the like. What farmer, let me ask you this, what farmer would say this? I can't plant my seed that I have in my barn because then I won't have any seed left. What happens if I need some seed later on and I ain't got none because it's all in the ground? What am I going to do? Farmers don't think like that. They don't. Any farmer or gardener knows that if they want a crop later on, then they must sow the seed first, right? When we give to the kingdom of God, of our finances, of our talents, of our time, that is the way we must look at it. I'm giving this now. Later on, I'm going to reap a harvest of time, of finances, of blessing. 
Tom Blasco says it this way. It doesn't benefit him to stuff his pockets full of seed. Neither does it do, listen to this now. He takes it to this point. Neither does it do any good to pray. Oh God, please give me a crop. I'm not sure if I can sow any seed, but I'm trusting you, God, to get involved. And I'm believing you to give me a crop, but I'm holding on to my seed in my pockets. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way God created it to work. (laughs) Okay? God created it to work that we invest first. We sow first, then we reap. You will reap what you sow. And the world uses that all over the place, right? But that is so very true, and that has come from the Bible. You will reap what you sow. And it's talking about giving. How many times is the word giving mentioned in the Bible? 1,043 times. 1,043 times. The logical thing to do, now listen, is to sow financial seed as well as seeds of time and talents in giving to the work of the Lord that later He will bless us for those things. I ask you today, where is your seed? Where is your seed? Is your seed in the pockets? Is your seed left in your barns? Or have you put your seed to work? Are you holding it safe in your barns? For a later time, if you are, you are missing out on the financial blessing that God wants to give you. There are, these are material things that we're talking about here, okay? And and these are like tangible things almost. But do you know that there are spiritual rewards to our giving? Right? In essence, a spiritual blessing, a spiritual return on our giving. Sowing in faith results in an eternal crop. All right? An intangible crop that, we return, that gets returned to us after we die, when we go to be with the Lord. So we are earning brownie points in the kingdom of God, in heaven, after we die. Does that make sense? Okay. So we know that we will not physically live forever, but we know that our spirits will, and we will either go to be with God in heaven, or we will go without God in hell. When we, and if we go to heaven with God, then we have the ability to invest in eternal rewards, okay? Something that the moth cannot eat away. And the Bible kind of gives that example. When you put something in your closet for a long time, sometimes you got to put something in there to keep stuff away. Do you remember what that is? Mothballs. They stink, I can't stand the smell of them things. They're so strong, okay? They don't taste very good. No. 
<laughs> so when you pack some things away, sometimes you got to put mothballs to keep the stuff away, to keep the moths from eating away at your clothes. They'll put coals in your clothes, okay? They will. They'll eat it away, all right? And so if you know it's going to be a long time, you put mothballs in it, and it helps to keep the bugs away, okay? And, but the Bible reflects on it this way. It says, why waste your time investing in something that is going to rust, can rust away, all right, because it's tangible, or, or, or that moths are going to eat away. Put, invest yourself into the kingdom of God that has an eternal reward. Okay? Now, he's not saying here that it's wrong to invest your money. That's not it. All right? We all know that investing financially is a good idea. You're planning, you're making the most of the money that you have. You're investing it and hoping to get a return on your investment because you're investing wisely with much counsel. You're investing in things you're hoping to get a good return. That's wise. That's smart. Okay, but th- this is different. This is talking about giving. Giving, all right? <clears throat> Sowing in faith results in an eternal crop Cowering in fear yields empty fields. Think about that. Fear has a big deal to do with how we give, doesn't it? We're afraid that we're going to end up without stuff. All right, kind of what we referenced before. I had something, I ain't got it no more. Now I don't want to get no more. Okay? But we look at it as the farmer looks at his seed and his field. Well, I don't have that seed anymore, but I know that come harvest time, I'm going to have a whole bunch of it, a whole bunch of fruit, okay? When we get involved in the kingdom of God by sowing into the kingdom our finances, our time, and our talents, we are, in a sense, taking our place in a plan that is much bigger than ourselves, When we give regularly to the church we belong to, we are investing in the kingdom of God. We are, in a sense, we are helping the poor in our church as well as our community. We are sending missionaries, and you can see our missionary board. We are sending missionaries to foreign countries that the gospel may be preached and that people may be saved. All right? I can't get there myself, but I can support someone who can. We are helping to staff full-time people like myself, pastor, that I can dedicate myself fully to prayer, to preaching the Word of God, to leading the church according to the biblical standard, caring for those that are in need, be it physical, spiritual, emotional, reaching those that are lost, preparing the church for things to come. That's what I'm able to do. Because I am full-time. And the people, you, you give to the church. I'm able to do this because of that. We are, you are also helping to staff part-time people that devote a portion of their time specifically to the work of the kingdom of God. All of these, 
All of these. That those that attend here may hear and respond to the proper teaching of the Word of God. That they may be encouraged. That they are led to the Savior and saved from their sin. That they are trained to lead. Do you know that the church needs leaders? Yeah, we do. That they are discipled. People are discipled. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? To obey. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a lot of teaching, a lot of discipleship that goes on in the church. It needs to go on. (laughs) Okay? Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? You know, and I've, I've spoken to you before about this with other things aside from giving, that it can be a, an uncomfortable thing to talk about. All right? It makes us uncomfortable a little bit. We don't want to, get, to let go of our money, our time, our talent. We don't want to let go of that. That's a natural human reaction, okay? But God wants us, if I don't teach, if we don't have a proper understanding of what God says in his word regarding the topic of giving that he mentioned 1,043 times in the Bible, if we don't teach that, then we have a host of people that don't know the right and proper way to give and what God expects. How can we obey God when we don't know what he wants? Think about it. Think about it. And so, hence the importance of knowing what God says about giving. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the church. It's not about paving our parking lot. It's not about buying curtains or the color of the hymnals. It's about proper teaching according to the Word of God. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so Paul is is talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. What did I tell them? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made because why? They're already set aside. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Okay? So he's saying, don't forget about what you told me you were going to give. All right? Because they had written a letter to Paul saying that we're going to give this amount of money towards this other church that's really struggling right now. All right? But as Paul, as time went on, Paul was delayed in getting back to them to take this gift to the other church. And Paul did not want these people to renege on their gift. Why? Because he had already told the other church. 
This church here cares so much about, this Corinthian church cares so much about you guys that they're sending you a gift. You watch and see what God's going to do. All right? And so time passes by, and now he's finally coming back to the Corinthian church to pick up this gift to take. And he's saying, make sure that when I get there, you got it ready. Have you ever done that? Have you ever committed yourself to something? Say, okay, I'm going to give this amount of money towards a, um, a benefit or something or something like that. And then come time for you to give it. It's like, oh, geez, I forgot about that. Okay? Yeah? Paul did not want that to happen. So he says, okay, this, this is a good way to think about it. All right? The first day of every week, take a certain sum of money in relation to what you earn and set that aside. So that come at the end of the week, that money is there. It's not spent. Okay? When we give regularly to the kingdom of God, God gives us the opportunity to partner with him in order that we may share in the blessings he will give us. And he allows us to be a blessing to other people. Have you ever thought about that? You have the ability to be a blessing to somebody else. To be a blessing to somebody else. And there's another scripture in here that says, when you give, don't give in an effort to pride yourself. Don't tell anybody what you're giving, okay? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, in a sense, okay? Don't tell everybody else so that they'll be so impressed by how much you give. Okay? That's not what it's about. All right? And don't give so that you will, will, will get a, a big amount back. That's not why we're giving. We're giving because we believe in God. We're trusting in God. We're giving because we believe it. We're giving because we want to be blessed, honestly. All right? But we don't give, and I always make this a practice, if there's any way that I'm going to benefit from giving my tithes, then I give it someplace else. And, and by that, I mean, I don't want to give a gift or a tithe or an offering in a way that's going to benefit me. Amen. You follow that? And, that can, and sometimes that can be difficult, all right? When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't do it so that you're going to benefit from it. Don't do it so that other people are going to think so great of you because of all the money that you gave. You give it because you're given to God. Okay? <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Why would God drain you of your resources of money, time, and uh, talents in an effort to accomplish his plan to save people? Think about that. Why would God drain you of your resources of money, time, and talents in an effort to accomplish his plan to redeem people, to save people? All right? So in our fear of giving, we're worried that when we give, we're not going to be left with enough. And so we limit our giving even. We're afraid to give. But in response to that fear, would God let you go without? No. He will not. My God shall supply all of your needs according to what? His riches in glory. Okay? 
Why would God drain you of your resources in an effort to accomplish his plan? No. I mean, that just thinking just doesn't work. Okay? When we give to the work of the Lord, to God's purposes, we are investing in God's agenda, in his big plan, and his eternal rewards. Have you ever heard of the man Oscar Schindler? I'm sure you have. Oscar Schindler, if, if you're not real familiar with this gentleman, let me fill you in. He was a German industrialist and a member of the Nazi party. Did you hear what I said? The Nazi party, who is credited with saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust by employing them in his enamelware and ammunitions factories, which were located in occupied Poland and the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. Now listen to this. Just give me a moment here to set the stage here. Do we have Oscar up there? Okay. Oscar, how's it going? As the war went on, Schindler began to bribe the Nazi officials with larger and larger bribes, gifts of luxury items to keep his workers safe. Now, he is known to have had up to 1,750 workers in his factories, of which 1,200, give or take, were Jewish people. He convinced the commandant of the nearby Krakauer Plazo concentration camp, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a concentration camp that was nearby to him, and he, com- he convinced the commandant of that place to allow him to move his factory to another location and thus sparing the lives of his workers of almost certain death in those very gas chambers. Schindler uh, continued to bribe the SS officials to prevent the execution of his workers until the end of the war in Europe in May 1945. By this time, now listen to this. Listen to this. By this time, by the end of the war, he had spent his entire fortune on bribes, and black market purchases of supplies to bribe these officials in order to save the lives of those 1,200 Jewish workers. Wow, you talk about giving. You talk about sacrificial giving? Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Schindler moved to West Germany after the war where he was supported by the assistant payments of those Jewish relief organizations. So those people he had saved created organizations where they would give and support him. Well, why would he need to be supported? Because he spent his entire fortune. Not only that, but he had tried doing other businesses and they all failed. He did receive some partial reimbursement for his wartime expenses, but he still went bankrupt in 1958. And he relied on the financial support from the Schindler Juden, Schindler Jews, people whose lives he had saved during the war. Isn't that beautiful? 
He was named righteous among the nations by the Israeli government in 1963. He died October 9th, 1974 in Germany and was buried where else but Jerusalem. And I saw his grave when I went to Israel. They make a big deal of it. 1974, he died and was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, the only member of the Nazi party to be honored in this way. You see, Mr. Schindler recognized the value, the importance of giving, so much so that he was willing to put his, this belief into action. He was willing to give his own life. How many times do you think that he risked his own life to give so that somebody else could live? Over and over and over. He was willing to give his own life, finances, notoriety, all to help someone else. You see, he gave money, gold rings, anything of value that he could to save the lives of these Jews. He was a true hero, truly a hero. And even when this was all over with and he looked back and thought about the people that he had saved. He was overwhelmed with grief and regret. Why would he feel that way? Because he couldn't save one more. Though he did so much, he still felt regret. We can learn a powerful lesson from Mr. Oscar Schindler. In the same way, many Christians will look back on their lives and wish that they had given more of themselves to the kingdom of God, more of their time to the kingdom of God, more of their finances to the kingdom of God, more of their talents to the kingdom of God. Fear has a a lot to do with the way we give. It is the main thing that keeps Christians from stepping out beyond their comfort zones to give. Mm -hmm. Our spirits, they want to be generous because our spirit recognizes the importance. Our spirits recognize the value of partnering with God. But our emotions register fear. Our emotions register fear. Have you ever heard that phrase, the cure for fear is what? Action. The cure for fear is action. Don't sit and think about it. Do something about it. Do something about it. We may have a fear of going to the dentist, our favorite place to go. We all love going to the dentist, don't we? No, we do not. But our pain in our face (laughs) forces us to go to that very place because we know that he's going to take care of that pain. Mothers fear the pain that childbirth will bring, but their desire to see the face of their little one that they have carried for nine months drives them to endure the pain. And I will close with this. If you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. 
verse 14 through 25. Again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and what it's going to be like. So he has given a few different ideas of what uh, uh, heaven is going to be like. And so he's continuing on. He's telling another story. Again, it's like an example. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags of gold. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five more bags of gold. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, well, he didn't do anything with that other than, listen to what he does. He went off and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now his master had charged him with the task of putting his money to work. But he was disobedient. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained for you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. And what did he say to him? I will put you in charge of many Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one bag of gold came. How do you think? He came to his master. Do you think he was all happy and go lucky? And do you think that maybe he was a little bit, just a little bit sheepish? 